0: Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it is the first day of February 2021. The month of January went by very quickly, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: I always track this because my birthday is on the last day of the year on December 31st. Please don't steal my information. It. Happy yeah. birthday! And then I can always track <laughs> the year by how closer I am to my next birthday and getting older. You know, And I'm just like, oh yeah, one month's gone, I'll be 42 in 11 months. And then I have this, like, little wave of mild depression, you know, because I'm like, fuck, where is all the time going? Yeah. But, you know, who gives a shit? Now I track it by my daughter's birthday, which also is kind of sad, you know? She's like, oh, my God, she's four now. Only 14 uh-huh. more years before I force her to go to UC Berkeley and live at home. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was some weird-ass <laughs> clock sticking. <laughs> oh, man.
0: I guarantee my daughter when she turns 18, if she is, uh, if the world still exists and UC Berkeley still exists and she has a good fortune to go to UC Berkeley, will almost certainly not want to go to UC Berkeley. You know, yeah. I hope so. Like that would be weird if she did. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm
1: here with Andy and Tammy. Uh, How's how are you guys doing? There's a huge Hi. storm in the Northeast that Tammy is oh, yeah. surviving through. Is it snowing? Yeah, the city got shut down here. It must be worse in New York than Philly, right? Yeah, I, haven't, I
2: haven't left. Last night I went to buy like six bottles yeah. of wine oh just, just to make <laughs> sure. She's
0: like, I need to make it through the next 12 hours. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: so you
1: got four of the bottles already. Yeah. <laughs> I played yeah. I played
0: frisbee golf yesterday with my friends <laughs> in shorts. It was great. Oh my Cackie god! shorts, so. um, Berkeley, great. <laughs> <laughs> we went to San Francisco actually. Cackie shorts. Yeah, I love I love playing frisbee golf. It's great. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Everything here is fine. I tried watching that Bling Bling Empire show, Andy, last night. Yeah. Guess how long I made it before I turned Shorter it. Shorter than Tammy. Seven I made, minutes. I made it through five minutes <laughs> I turned, and then i turned it up i was like i can't do this anymore. damn you beat me <laughs> wait how long how much
1: did you watch dammy
2: i i watched, 10, you watched minutes, 10 minutes and i was like i was like andy's gonna pay for these 10 minutes oh, in ten
1: minutes, uh, <laughs> what's happened at that point is they go to dinner that the chinese new Year dinner is that correct
0: no i didn't even make it that far
2: the whole yeah, party thing right. that she designed and then they set up that artificial feud yeah. between her and the woman who's had a lot of i just done. I just don't
1: watch reality tv in general so i, I thought that was maybe yeah. the issue rather than the wait did you like i thought you liked yeah. it
2: yeah i thought you i wasn't a liking. it no I
1: hate, I hate it i watched two episodes but uh i mean we were like laughing at I it watched two. but i feel like it's like the duty of the podcast yeah. to watch these things
0: i know so like for the <laughs> listeners who don't know what Bling empire is I will say, I don't know what it is, but it's a reality show about some guy who moves to LA <laughs> and starts hanging out with rich Asians.
1: Yeah, so he's a Korean is he a model or Philly. something. Yes. Oh yeah, he's from Philly, yeah. Did y'all catch this? I didn't catch this until I was thinking about it later. Like, what, the, what does the title mean? What, what is Asian about the title? I have no idea. I, I think don't. it's a pun on like Ming or Qing Empire. Oh, good job. Just yeah, totally, uh, nobody, I just totally did not get whenever that. Whenever I bring this up, people are like, "Oh, yeah." So we did a bad job titling it, I feel like. Yeah,
0: bling That's impact. funny. Anyway, it's like some handsome Korean and he's like in this really tacky house. And then he's talking to this guy and he's like, "I'm a model, but I've never been around people like Asians like this before." Yeah. And then I turned it off. <laughs> and, and then I was gonna say I don't think Jay got a lot and then of Then I watched the uh... <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: I might have totally not I, I might have totally <laughs> he actually dies five minutes into the first episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah, is the like, show good okay. uh and, is it watchable i ended up watching that glass blowing competition show on netflix <laughs> instead oh my that god show is great it's like eight people who can't Too who can't funny. admit that that what they do for a living is make bongs you know clearly <laughs> they make bongs you know and then and they're like you can't say you make bongs and then and then they're like oh you know god. i really you know like i, I just like He's like, oh, I've been like a glass artist for the past fifteen years. He's like, so you make bogs. you know? There's no shame in that. <laughs> I don't understand why they don't just. I don't understand why they don't just say it. Um, so I watched that instead. Andy, what what is it with this show? Like, why should people? Why why did why did you feel compelled to have Tammy and I watch it?
1: Uh, well, I think well several Asians have brought it up, and I and uh, several listeners have emailed us.
2: Several agents.
1: Yeah, several Asians. Yeah, I don't know. All my, like, group studies where there's, like, Asian people are, like, have you watched this Bling Empire show? And I think it's cashing in on Crazy Rich Asians craze. I assume it was, like, filmed, like, or whatever, like, green greenlit, whatever the word is, right after Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I don't, I feel like there's a whole genre of this rich person porn that I don't watch in general. So totally. I might be unfamiliar with, like, maybe it's actually, like, a really good version of rich person porn. Oh, uh,
0: you mean, like, uh. A-
1: Real Housewives type yeah, of thing, or Kardashians yeah. and all okay. that. I've never really yeah, watched yeah, that yeah. stuff. I've never right. watched any of that stuff. Either. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was interesting in the sense that I, I watched it the same way I watched Crazy, Crazy Rich Asians, which is not for the plot, <laughs> but for the like all the tiny little details about how you find out like this person's like a Vietnam rich person, this is a Singaporean rich person, this is a Hong <laughs> Kong rich person. I'm like trying to piece together where where all their money came from. Um, and the other thing with similar to Crazy Rich Asians. I feel like this is predominantly a Chinese show, but they're trying to market it as Asian in some broad sense, right? But it's really okay, like you said. The you said the lead guy is Korean, so he's a Korean American. I think he's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's like some meta thing going on where, as the non-Chinese person on the show, he's also sort of like the you know the surrogate for all the non-Chinese people, so hmm. or non-rich people to get like he's not only like the surrogate for the non-rich people, the middle class or the Working class viewer, he's a surrogate for the non-Chinese um, viewer, right? But so oh, much of the show yeah. is, uh, I don't know these people. Right? I don't know. I don't. I don't know people that rich, but I feel like I know people who are like five percent, you know, like in that mm-hmm. direction, like have that kind of personality, <laughs> very materialistic, and you know, maybe one or two generations ago, like that. That the main character, the the what's her name, Ch- Cho, I think her is her last name, the woman who ro- ho- holds a Chinese din- Chinese New Year dinner party. She and her husband I think are Taiwanese American. And I think like I, I would not have known them, right? But there okay, is so these
0: aren't these aren't like fobs who came to the US to go to art school. I
1: don't think I think are some foreigners. are. Okay. I think some are.
2: They're yeah.
1: But like that the, world is the gay friends. Me, he's Singaporean. Exactly. Okay.
2: So that I mean, I don't know if he would identify as Chinese, but I guess you're saying like Han Chinese ish.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like we, the we, like the, and, the academic yeah. term is Sinophone these days, which is like Chinese yeah. diaspora. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> sinophone. Cino, I, uh, I, I, I've had some interactions with this group of people when I lived in LA. So You got invited um, to these parties? No, no, no. Jay,
2: sorry, your sound is really oh, low. I um. I can't really hear you.
0: Is this better? Okay. Yeah. Um, I lived in this. Sorry, we should mark uh, that. I lived in this building when I moved to LA and it was, uh, it was a uh, temporary housing for ESPN and, uh-huh. and, uh, it was in this like corporate building that was corporate housing, but a lot of Chinese rich kids live there too. And, um, and there's. You would have to take this elevator to get down to the car valet. I had like a, 19, a 2001 Subaru Outback. And then I would occasionally ride in the elevator with all these Chinese fog kids who went to USC who lived in the building. And yeah. I just remember there are all these times when I would take the take the, uh, take the elevator down with some like chubby Chinese kid wearing sweatpants. And then there would be like a Rolls Royce Phantom waiting for him. Yeah, yeah. And it just filled oh, me with wow. hatred. You know, yeah. I just felt so racist at the time. It was like, you know, it's just like, fuck this kid. You know, so that's <laughs> the world, right? Like, it's That's like, it. yeah, oh
1: that's, called, that's crazy. Manor is called Fu f- or thai, which is like the, the rich next generation of kids of probably officials, like, like Communist Party officials that have really like ridden the wave, rode the wave of wealth in the 80s to the 90s.
0: Oh, okay. And okay, then, so there's
1: even a word for I them. I think
2: these people on this yeah, show Yeah, no, they, these different. people
1: are. They all come from yeah. Empire. Like, literally, not like...
2: Right. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, my fr- he's an yeah. arms dealer. Like, that's arms a
1: line. Oh. Oil, <laughs> denim kingdom. The Hong Kong yeah. woman's from a denim kingdom. Oh. And I was thinking, like...
2: Like, shipping fortunes. Yeah. So, these are... So like, it's like,
0: it's like Great Gatsby-type figures.
1: E- is it?
0: But they're mm. not... Yeah, because
2: I... I think it's more inherited. nouveau well.
1: yeah, sure. They're, no, they're probably nouveau Reese yeah. to some degree. Yeah. Okay. I got
2: it. I don't know. It's if like Gatsby's I mean, some kid. of this wealth goes back oh, many, de- many generations. Uh, oh. I think if
1: well, so that's that's how I read this in like Crazy Rich Asians, which is like, you could always read this in terms of like Asia getting rich in the twentieth century. Hmm. Um. And I think, so I think there's actually these shows are actually really interesting oh. as like histories, history lessons of the, like the last fifty years, um, uh, of like demonstrating how, uh all across the Asia, the Pacific Ocean, basically. All these countries got rich. And then you have these rich these rich families that kind of converge on the scene. And LA itself is kind of part of that world, right? LA is closer to that world. Some parts of LA, let's say, is part of, closer to that world than it is to, like, you know, Europe or, like, Philadelphia yeah. or the East Coast, right? Yeah, all those people t- seem to live mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's where right? the show is set. Yeah. So yeah. it's like... I don't know. It's, I mean, the show itself is tacky and cringy. I'm not going to watch more than the two episodes, but I do feel like sociologically there's something interesting going on. Unintentionally, right? Like they, they, they like, I don't know if the producers are like.
0: It's probably intentionally. They probably want you to hate the people, right? Don't you think? Like in the same way that (laughs) the Real Housewives people, they kind of want you to like them, but there's always this like horror that you feel when you look at their lives um, and look at all the tacky things that they own and you know yeah it's like the best show yeah. with that ever was the sopranos you know like the whoever <laughs> like bought the stuff that was inside the sopranos house was so good incredible like that, all those well, like, in the costumes, like the, little, like, uh, the gold so rimmed like wine glasses and stuff like that like it was just perfect for eliciting disgust totally. from the typical hbo viewer you know who like is probably like a new jersey a, like upper middle class like somebody in the upper middle class who went to uh, who has like education and knows enough that right. some things are tacky. Yeah. Um yeah, it's a good move. Uh, whoever whoever did that for the Sopranos was a genius.
1: So really quickly there's another show that I haven't watched but you probably have heard of called House of Ho. No. What's no. that? Okay. So this I is also know, on it. this is also on HBO. It's a Vietnamese American family in Texas that apparently is super rich and it's another version of like
2: hmm.
1: you know, rich person porn, but it's Asian. So I don't know. I haven't watched it, but I wonder if there's
2: but that's Asian yeah, if you're, if you're American Vietnamese-American. Like yeah. So you're
1: saying we missed out on the
0: big gold rush on making TV shows about rich I don't
1: Asians. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's like there's two <laughs> of them coming it. out within months. We missed of each
0: it. Other. Uh, ugh, maybe we I'll, maybe I'll try path. rewatching that thing. Um, okay, speaking of getting rich, <laughs> did either of you make any money on this GameStop <laughs> thing? What a segue. <laughs> Look at that. It nailed know. it. I know. Um, we are, uh, did, did either of you do any of that no did you download
1: robin hood
2: no i don't know how to do this kind okay. of thing
1: um my friend was merlin from well i don't know yeah merlin merlin was telling me about it like days before it like became national news the first time he mentioned it, i was like whatever cute little story and then like two days later it's on the front page of the new york times i'm like what i know man? i
2: know so was he did he invest? no i don't think so <laughs> i think
1: he was just like saying like hey yeah. did you see this reddit story and uh i see yeah there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of angles to go with this i don't know it's it's pretty crazy
0: yeah well the thing that i wanted to talk about on the show was this idea of whether or not this was like a class insurrection or not you know whether it was and not even a class insurrection but an insurrection period i do think that's sort of the interesting thing that came out of it and uh you know, what do you do when it's like the idea of it, the way that it's pitched forward in the few, first few days when like Ted Cruz and AOC and yeah. Dave Portnoy and everybody in the world is like out there being like, fuck hedge funds, right? Everyone wants to say fuck hedge funds, fuck Wall Street, like this, we're getting over on them, we're liquidating them, we're making them lose billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's an exciting moment, you know, and then in the end it turns out that this isn't exactly true, but it's kind of true, you know? And so then, yeah, it's kind of true, you know, like it's true enough, right? Like the hedge funds did kind of some, some did very well in all this, but some suffered, you know, and it's like the idea, the fantasy of it is that a bunch of people can band together and pool their money together and they can take on the hedge funds and they can fuck them over, you know, like it's a good fantasy to have, right? So Noah Colwin, who is a friend of the podcast, um, wrote a piece in the Times, an opinion piece. I wanted to read a little bit from it and give get your uh, response, right? He says, It would be a mistake to interpret the emoji-filled banter, tongue-in-cheek pep talks and crude trolling associated with this crowdsourced movement as the stuff of either a Trumpist reactionary mob or the start of a benign revolution in the markets. The truth that a completely decentralized scheme prompted largely by middle-class people siphoned billions from hedge funds is narrower but still con- uh, but still compelling as the tug of war between retailers and institutions continue, it's clear that this insurgency isn't an, unequ- isn't an unequivocal populist win. The world 's largest asset manager, Blackrock, whose thirteen percent stake in GameStop may have delivered a 2.4 billion dollar windfall, happened to find itself on the winning side of the GameStop trade by Wednesday. The private equity giant Silver Lake had gained two hundred eighty four million dollars from the AMC mania and rich people own a vast majority of stocks anyway. It's a sure bet that some small investors who get in too late and wager too much will take bad losses. But for those either actively on these Reddit-led trades or living vicariously through them, the potential downside isn't diluting the comic thrill of the moment or the sense that there's still a modicum of justice to be squeezed out of an unequal economy run by rapacious speculators. What do you think?
1: I want to hear Tammy's skepticism. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think Noah hedges it enough like he's I read his piece as kind of just being a question mark about like what this represented as opposed to saying, you know, one thing or another. To me, I would be I would fall more on the side of like this is really a victory for no one. The only thing I would say that was good about this moment is that it's just illuminating about how empty and horrible everything is (laughs) on this market and how it's all just a ridiculous fantasy that benefits the rich you know and and so even if there is this little this slight like middle class group of successful lulzing like ultimately (laughs) it's just a completely horrible exploitative show Uh,
1: Hmm. there's a piece in a in Jacobin by Duck Henwood that I think does a good job just kind of on the on the most basic economic level, kind of describing like what does Wall Street do and how it's not actually as productive mm-hmm. as its defenders. Like the the defenders of Wall Street say, like companies need capital. That's what the Wall Street does is reallocate capital efficiently. But no, it's mostly people just trying to profit off the margins of betting on stuff. Um, so the the question, the interesting question, is sort of the like the affective or the sort of emotional aspect rather than the like actual redistribution of wealth part, which yeah, you know, at this point we don't really know, right?
0: yeah Um, yeah i mean like some people are tweeting stuff like this GameStop has redistributed wealth more than like the federal than the federal government has been able to do through the pandemic which is you know it's absurd (laughs) like that's not
1: true (laughs) i mean maybe if everyone cashed out right now maybe but someone's gotta buy it it, i mean i don't know the federal
0: government did put a lot of money in and uh you know you still like We've talked about this a lot. It's not just $600, right? Right. Um, And then, uh, I don't know. I I find myself wanting to believe this, right? Like, I want to believe that it portends something that could be cool in the future, even if this is mucked up by having other... Mm. Like, the fact that, like, BlackRock profited, I don't really care, you know? The fact that some of these people are, like, you know, right-wing trolls, I don't care. You know, I was, like, waiting for somebody to be, like, Wall Street bets is white supremacist. Like I just don't care. Also, I don't really believe it. You know, a lot of people I know are on Wall Street bets, and they're not white supremacists. And like maybe like the meme of re- meme language of Reddit draws upon some of that stuff, but not in any way that I'm going to care. You know, you can you can associate anything with anybody, and if it's not like you know by the books liberal, then it's going to be cast as white supremacist. And so like the core of it is like, is there? enough energy and have enough people been convinced that Wall Street is rigged and terrible and uh, and that it should only be fucked with, right? That future things can happen to destabilize the stock market. Like, that's the only thing that I think about that came out of it. I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I do think that we're a step closer to that than we were before. Right? People, people don't have, like, if, if anyone had any illusions about the stock market and thinking things like, oh, it's just like you know buying into good companies and riding them up and like right. if you're patient then you will be rewarded right like have you read have you read uh have you read barbarians at the gate
1: i think i saw the movie
0: okay well, Barbarians is this wonderful book about like uh rjr nabisco or rjr and it's about what happened when like wall street got into like a you know north carolina tobacco company and started treating it as the same way that um you know Wall Street does, which is to flip things around, gut assets, take gigantic fees from mergers and stuff like that. And what happened to all the people who had like sort of worked for RJR and Nabisco their entire lives, and you know they were paid out in this stock, and because the company was profitable in the old days, the mm-hmm. stock would you know this would be their retirement fund essentially, and all these people get wrecked because of like Wall Street greed. Now, if anyone still feels that way in the way that the RJR Nabisco people felt, at the, I think it was just RJR at the beginning, the Nabisco was part of the merger, but like that RJR tobacco people felt, I think they've been totally disavowed of that illusion, you know? And I think that's good, right? Isn't that a good thing oh, to come right. out of it? Like that people don't actually think that the stock market is real.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel like this is all an extension of a weight still, that America still, I mean, not still like permanently, probably, or at least for a few generations It has this uh, antagonism towards wall street and i almost wonder just to play devil's advocate if the downside to that is like they blame they blame like all these problems upon like bad apples on wall street like hedge funds right as opposed to like something broader right like capitalism basically right like
2: well that's that's the thing yeah because i think there's like I think, Jay, like what you're saying is slightly different maybe from what I was thinking, which is you're saying most people realize that this is kind of a scam. But then I think the other step of that is like, but it's a scam I can get in mm. on or that to some, you know, to some extent, like we can find our way of profiting from it, knowing that it's like a casino. Yeah. Right? Tammy, but I think I guess I'm my worry about it is that that seduction then, you know, masks some of the kind of systemic issues that I think you were just talking about, Andy, which is. No, this isn't actually designed for us. And even if we get, like, we can cheat it a little bit, like, we're not really right. going to win.
1: I mean, Tammy, what if, like, I don't know, you had, like, a a close friend or family member that said, like, I invested a shitload in GameStop and I I'll, I'll give you, like, half of it. Would you reject it on, on principle and be like, "No, no, no! This is dirty Wall Street money." <laughs> As a good definition. Are we? Are we? Are, like, are purity testing? Live, live beyond my six hundred square foot reality. Donate in fees to DSA. <laughs> Yeah. it yeah. to Bernie.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah donate to yeah. Bernie. Bernie
0: 2028. 20, uh, but he's like 87 years old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. The other thing that... Um, one thing that kind of I remember is there's an episode of Slate Money Podcast this weekend where that does a good job breaking this down for people who actually understand economics. And one of the guest speakers was... Uh, the guest was... Um, I forget... Sorry, I forget her name, but she was talking about how she was on Clubhouse over the weekend listening to all these people talk about this. And they went into this thinking like, these are just finance bros, these are assholes, blah, blah, blah. But after listening to people spend all day talking about how this is their first chance in their life because of Robinhood, that they have the opportunity to actually invest and play the stock market and feel you know the chance to get rich quick and all that stuff. Like there was a certain... I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if, like, sympathy is the right word, but, like, a certain, like, sense of, like, these are not just finance bros. Like, these are actually some people who, you know, in, in a bad way are probably feeling very desperate because of the inequality in this country, and they do see this as, like, a potential light at the end of the tunnel, and um, maybe there is, maybe those stories about how people are just, like, trying to pay off college debt or, like, some dental bill is actually, there's, there might be some truth to that, even though there's also the BlackRock element and the, you know, the Yeah, the, well, the that's the thing. Bro.
0: It's, like... Look, is this a populist revolution? Absolutely not, you know, but (laughs) but, you know, does it highlight how unequal access to the stock market is to investment is, you know, like does it does it does it highlight the scam of things like accredited investing where you need two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to even participate in some of this stuff? Does it does it highlight how much of the stock market is insider trading stuff like after hours trading and shit that people like us can't do yeah you know and does every do do does everybody know that no you know like when people start a 401k or let's say right or they or they start an IRA they start saving money for their kids colleges and stuff like that that's when they open an e trade account or that's when they go to charles schwab or something like that and those people mm-hmm. have a lot of faith in this in the system. They really do believe that in 10 years, their money will grow. And for the most part, if they just keep it in something stable, it will. You know, but like all this other shit where people are getting super rich, like that's all based off a total scam, illegal economy. And like having people understand that, I think is the first step to really destroying it. And I do think that much more people came to that realization. Now, the downside of it, Tammy, I think, I think so. that you're talking about, that's something I'm worried about as, you know, somebody who has <laughs> spent a lot of time in both <laughs> yeah. gambling and in gambling recovery and then gambling again, and then once again in gambling recovery. <laughs> um, I know that the danger of people starting to day trade and believing that they can beat the system over and over again is very high, you know. Mm-hmm. And I will say that not to be like a Pollyanna about it, but it's bad, you know, and I know (laughs) many people who have gone down this path and ended up ruined, right? Like, so for me... Like what I did was because, you know, I have this like degenerate sickness is that I just like went in. I took a small amount of money and I put it all in the most aggressive stuff in Bed Bath and Beyond mm-hmm. possible and AMC and GameStop. <laughs> and I was two days too late. So I just lost it all. you know okay. And then I was like, oh, well who cares? You know, I was either going to make like fifty thousand dollars or I was going to lose shit. everything. But I was OK with it, you know. But that's the only reason I can do that is because of years of gambling recovery. Uh-oh. You know? <laughs> like, where I just think, like, I'll just take a little taste and then I'll be done with it, you know? Now, I oh, think no. that, like, if I had started doing this when I was 20 years old, I would be wiped out. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have, I would have put yeah. every cent that I had and then I would have gone out and borrowed more money and then I would put all that in as well. And then people start making crazy decisions. It's like a real sickness. And I don't think yeah. that a country of day traders who are unemployed or bored out of their minds because of the pandemic or in desperate situations, trying to YOLO into these like options trades. It's mm-hmm. a very bad thing for the to happen to the country. And this is like the most conservative Pollyannish thing I'll ever say on the show, but it worries me. You know, <laughs> it worries me because like I can see myself at the age of 21 <laughs> ruining my life over this shit, you know? And like, it's never gonna keep going this way, right? right. The stock market has been on an insane run since, since like basically the market bottomed out after the pandemic. People have been making tons of money because when the market is going up, you can pick any fucking stock and it goes up, yeah. you know? But when the, mm-hmm. once that momentum stops yeah. or when it goes down, people just get wiped out in two days. Yeah. And then you have people committing suicide, you have people's lives ruined, you have like kids' okay. college educations gone because the confidence that you get and the thrill you get from the first few days is so high. Smart investors, you know, like, they'll just do it with a little bit of it, you know, like, that's what I think people, like, the people I know who are smart, who made money off of GameStop, it was like a thing <laughs> where, like, they did what I did, but they were much smarter about it, you know, they didn't get in too late, but they got in at the same okay. time, and then they sold. I actually they had sold, one day sold. where, okay. they sold, yeah. I had one day where I made, like, a sh- I like, I think I made, like, 1500% of my investment in Bed Bath & Beyond in one day. And then I didn't sell this
2: month. Yeah, yeah, it was over. Like it was last one week?
0: day, yeah, on Wednesday, and then it was going into Thursday, wow. and I was like, I'm not fucking selling, you know. And then it was wiped out the next day. <laughs> oh my no, god. No, but like, you know, that's just because like, yeah. it's like a manageable amount of money that I was just like, it's either gonna go way up or I'm gonna, you know, yeah. or I'm gonna just jettison it. It's so you fine. had
2: bargained in advance. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah,
0: just like right? whatever. I'll, that's lose your strategy. I'll lose it. I'll lose it. It's <laughs> fine. But. Um, I don't know.
2: I guess my thing, though know, is like this whole I, I agree with. I mean, I think if if, if there was a, a an awakening moment for a lot of people, like that's a positive thing. But then we also need to be like, all right, now, like destroy yeah. it or like, yeah. you know, the liberal version, like the good liberal version is like gla- back to Glass-Steagall. Right. and like, you know, <laughs> like more conservative policies, like, like the Katie like you know?
0: Porter path to it would be right. that. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> with a whiteboard yeah, yeah, and yeah. a Glass-Steagall. You know, but that would so be, I, I don't know. I, don't
0: you think that that would at least be good? Yeah, for sure. It's better. It's oh, yeah. way better than, like, that. what yeah. it is now, which is just, oh, like, hell yeah, it's just crime, Yeah, you know, basically. It's just, and I think, I don't know, like, uh, I, the, the other thing I wonder, Timmy, and I'm interested in your thought, is, like, what do you think comes next after this? Because this was, like, a big fucking moment, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, like, I was arguing with my friend, and I was like, I think this is, like, almost a historic moment. Now, it's nothing compared to really? Nothing compared to 2008, right? Wow. Nothing compared to 2008. But I do think in terms of, like, big stock market days, like, this is one of the biggest stock market
1: stories, you know? So I don't think the story is over. The Henwood himself believes, kind of what you were saying, that this is just a symptom of the market being in a huge bubble. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we just know this happens, especially in the last fifty years, because of financialization, neoliberalism, right? That we're just going to have these cycles of crises every five or ten years. So, I think GameStop is just the be- is just one chapter in the story that's going to end I agree. badly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not over yet. Mm.
0: Yeah, it'd be, these guys aren't going to stop. You know, yeah. like today they're trying to pump the silver market. I lost more money trying to catch that <laughs> wave too. <laughs> but you
1: know, these are, um, and then we're going go the to go back to I don't know, like bronze or something. Like they're just yeah, coming over exactly. like the most old-fashioned <laughs> commodities to trade in these days. Well,
0: for a while it seemed like they had an extremely good sense of humor, you know, because it was stuff like it was like a uh, GameStop yeah. and like movie company, movie theater companies, yeah. and Blockbuster. Where they pumped one day to like four thousand percent because Blockbuster apparently is still a penny stock, you know. That's what I was gonna I say. Think, like was there's like, this a, shit's something pretty amazing funny. About, like, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. It's, uh, they did Nokia, you know, it's like, <laughs> they did Blackberry, like all the, it's funny, you know, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, all right, let's pick, let's, let's show how stupid this thing is, you yeah. know, we'll pump companies that don't make any, you know, like, yeah, it would have yeah. been funny if they had done like the Nextel, you know, like Nextel <laughs> jerk phones and shit like, like that. I was trying yeah, or like Wang Computers was what I thought would be funny <laughs> if they did. I don't know if Wang Computers <laughs> is still fucking trading, but that would have been funny. You know, like things that just don't make any right. sense. But it turns out that they were picking those companies because they're crashed out because they have, you know, um, beyond like their value, what their actual value is. So that's what that's why these guys had such an right? those. Yeah, things. yeah. My brother, they're, yeah, they're oversold. Yeah.
1: My brother's in the video game industry and he was suggesting there might be also like an affinity for like Reddit. They're all play video games. So there's a sort of I was they're all like 40 year that. old men who like remember going to GameStop when they're 20. Yeah.
2: exactly yeah. but
0: that also makes it kind of cute you know I don't, I don't i don't mind that i don't know i i feel i feel very agnostic in the end about it where but andy i totally agree i think it's this is the stock market now for many people you know like it's going to be options trading which is crazy that it that people can just do it by downloading an app you know because it's so it's complicated it's dangerous and it's so volatile, it's so volatile oh you know and that's and people are going to get endorphin or whatever what's the thing that makes you happy dopamine dopamine, yeah Yeah, dopamine rushes from it they're gonna like they're gonna have days where they make like 20 grand and then they're gonna just believe that they can keep doing it and then their lives are gonna be looking at robin hood stock tickers all day long trading this stuff and then just going broke in the end you know like it's just it's just
1: bad maybe they should yeah. So um, what I haven't actually followed the last few days. I know like AOC was getting in on this and several you know, politicians. Like what's the latest in terms of like has D.C. To Washington signaled like a direction it, in terms of like regulating it or anything?
0: It's complicated because like at first it really seemed like they had sold off information to the Citadel Capital and Malvin Capital and that there was some sort of bailout going right. and that Robin Hood was yeah. like restricting trading to try and save mm-hmm. Melvin Capital, who was one of their clients. And there's all this shit about how maybe Janet Yellen, who had been paid $200,000 to speak at, at at Citadel, was in on it and all this shit. And it turns out that a lot of that is like might be true, but there's not much evidence that it was true. And that most likely what happened was that Robin Hood was afraid that it was going to become insolvent, right? Because yeah. there's so much money being cashed yeah. out. And the the evidence of that is that they kind of, sold off part of their stake for a billion dollars in cash at, like, a pretty shitty price for them, you know? So it was definitely an emergency mm. fun thing. And Dev, the guy who's the CEO of Robinhood, who seems to me to be a total fucking idiot, has given all these conflicting stories, but now the one he's sticking with is, like, we were going to fucking go broke, you know? Yeah. And so we needed to do something. So there's yeah. like a run
1: on the banks or a run on the clearing. It, it was
0: exactly. It was like a run on the bank. Basically. Huh. I find that to be more believable yeah, just because, sense. like... Like I believe that hedge funds are certainly capable of working in concert with Robinhood on this sort of thing, but then if you think about it, you're like, how is this worth it to them? Like hmm. the P- Robin, like the PR hit, like the fucking going in front of Congress, having Ted Cruz and AOC mad at you, you know, like <laughs> it's it just didn't make that much so sense. True. And so then you just think, well, what's you know, like it's probably incompetence, right? Like you know, it's the same thing probably, where like yeah. do you do you, do you look and you see mass incompetence, and I think knowing the robin hood people it was probably mass incompetence right yeah. they're just like holy shit if game stuff goes up more we're gonna be fu- we're gonna run out of money you know there's not gonna be any money left which then brings up the question because they're supposed to have money to cover all of it you know like yeah. is this a ponzi scheme and i think that's gonna be what the uh, yeah. i think that's what's gonna be the the question going forward like the investigation is yeah. gonna be about that maybe i'm wrong
2: that would be good. But yeah, I was concerned that basically the DC reaction was like, oh, we need to make Robin Hood work right, better. Yeah. <laughs> <As> <laughs> a, right? Because we're not anywhere close to this kind of Katie Porter Warren, Bernieite path where we're actually looking at systemic reforms. Like, I'm just worried about, again, this kind of like nihilistic seduction where it's like, fuck it, this thing is bullshit. Let's get in oh. on it. As opposed to like, we need to tear yeah, this tear down because yeah. this is hurting yeah. I mean, us. I don't think no. those are
1: mutually exclusive. <laughs> we could get in on it.
2: <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a spectrum. It, it also, <laughs> yeah, life is complicated.
1: Um, sure. The other thing that I kind of think is interesting, and I don't know, I don't think this is necessarily unique to this moment, but it does feel like in the last I don't know twelve months, we've had all these instances where the law, the government, and Wall Street are now just scrambling to catch up to these applications and websites that are just totally in a decentralized way outsmarting them, right? Like it kind of begins with TikTok ruining that trump rally well i guess it begins with maybe twitter like making <laughs> trump a meme and getting him elected president yeah. in the first place <laughs>
2: yeah and I think and that's then there. um
1: and then now like reddit you know has like completely like how, how do you like how do you stop reddit
2: but facebook and the election right, yeah, yeah, and, right. All, and right, yeah. right all of that cambridge and i, and I, I guess this is kind of
1: normal like stuff. governments are always kind of behind on on new technologies and stuff but it does seem like there just seem to be like a bunch of these events now where it's like like all the power lies in the internet this unregulated like you know wild west and and mm-hmm. politicians are just like scrambling to catch up and uh i don't know it's just kind of contributing to the chaotic feel of 2021 i guess yeah yeah it's uh it's
0: i i, I guess like it's like how many of the things that we're going to be looking at from here on out are going to be these sort of fake insurrections you know yeah I think it's just going to keep happening, right? Like, people are, hate every institution. Yeah. And everything is pitched as being like, let's destroy that institution. And guess what? Donald Trump being out of office or deplatform hasn't changed any of that, you know? In yeah. some ways, it's a lot easier now because you don't have to politicize it. You can just make it about something that everybody hates, right? What does everyone hate? Everyone hates fucking Wall Street, you know? <laughs> so anything that hurts Wall Street is going to be wish. seen with this moral clear, You know, it's going to yep. be given this moral weight behind it. And then people are going to flood in because they want to stick it to Wall Street. Now, I think if we were really sticking into Wall Street, I'd be really totally for that, you know. But the sad thing is that, like, we weren't really sticking it to Wall
1: Street. But so it does seem like, um, you know, with like your Ted Cruz AOC example, has there been like a sort of like a right wing libertarian um, sort of criticism latching onto latching onto the. Oh, that's the
0: Ted Cruz thing that markets should be free. You know, right? But like the true, the true libertarians are the ones who are like arguing for like Ethereum and Bitcoin based, right. you know, decentralized finance markets, which you know I actually find to be interesting myself. But I won't talk about it on the show. I promise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's really been a convergence in terms of regulating these platforms as something more yeah, than platforms. So, because I sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I just like. I mean I'd be curious what you guys think like there was this whole argument on left Twitter about left Twitter <laughs> which is basically like is Twitter doing the right thing in deplatforming Trump yeah, yeah, and all yeah, the QAnon yeah. people right because like you know the the people who are like very into like socialism would say no, that was wrong because they shouldn't have this power. And what we should really be pushing for is not censorship, but actually like regulating these mm. as public goods, as utilities, right? And so if we were also to group Robinhood into that in this consideration of is Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Robinhood are these public utilities that if regulated as such would you know be equal in some way? Um, you know, do you guys think that that is a solution? Would, is that what we're actually How would Twitter be
1: regulated for? though? Because in a way, Twitter unlike these other ones it's not really profiting. I mean, I mean, guess they have ads or whatever, right? But it's like you would have to put reddit in that group then, like basically any sort of communication channel. Ha- face There face- would have the to be sort of like-
2: yeah, some sort of de minimis test. I mean, in the same way that the FCC can decide or sorry, not the SEC, the FCC can decide what is a broadcast yeah, 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 channel, right? right? Um,
1: um I think they're, I don't know. I'm almost sort of like, I don't know. I I feel like this is bad, but I like Twitter as a private company and they can totally shut off Trump's, shut up, shut up Trump. Like no one's forcing you to like read Twitter in the first place. Um, And I know like that notion of free speech is neoliberal and bad, but... um,
2: I mean, in this case, it probably yeah, worked okay. Hard. But then, like this week in India, right, right, it was right. really controversial because they shut down right all of the like left wing yeah. publications that were that? trying to <laughs> cover the farmers. I, I saw that headline. Like,
1: why would Twitter do that? So, like, why would they?
2: It's like Modi's India. So Twitter wants to be close really? to Modi. There's like a right? high up. Right.
1: Yeah, well, that, I agree. Twitter.
0: I don't think they should have shut down Trump's account, and I think that they shouldn't shut down accounts generally. You know, really. But that's like, yeah, because I think that it gives them too much power. And I think it basically shows that, you know, there's something very pathetic in my mind of begging these fucking tech companies to, like, save America. Sure. And when you empower them to save America, it's kind of pathetic. You know, it's just like we don't maybe maybe uh, we should think of other ways in which we can, like, deep, deep platform Trump other than begging Twitter to cancel his account. You know, like that would be that would be cool to me. And now that it just seems like all these people, they all hold all the power right now and they can do whatever they want. And that's what people thought the Robinhood thing was. Like it was another tech company doing whatever they want. Facebook does whatever it wants, right? Yep. And yeah. Amazon does whatever they want. Yeah. And they the other side of it is that they never do shit to help anybody, you mm-hmm. know? Like I was, yeah. I was talking to this guy and he was like, man i can't believe amazon isn't in charge of the testing and the vaccine stuff because they have so much infrastructure and i was like yeah they could have been
1: yeah
0: you know there's an argument they would have done it well yeah but he wanted no fucking part of it you know like people were begging them to do it they didn't do shit google google and fucking apple too remember everyone's like Oh, they're going to do, Google they're going to do like contract they gonna tracing. They're going to do contact tracing through iPhones. You're like, no, they're not. They don't right. fucking care, yeah. you know? And so when it's like, half of it is like, we don't give a shit about you, yeah. you know? And then the other half of it is like, <laughs> is like, please, 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 sir. Can you please yeah. de Donald Trump? I it's know. just too pathetic for me. Like, I don't even have a political argument outside of ends. it. Outside of it's like, we should not be pathetic people. Yeah. You know, uh, like, that's my, that's yeah, my yeah. argument. Did,
1: <laughs> does Samsung help with the Korean test trace, uh, contact tracing?
0: um
1: was, there, was yes. there a way in which like the Chebble think... helped out with their like super efficient
0: not really it was yeah. all government stuff that they set up like after yeah. Merz. I mean
2: I don't know if they gave them like server yeah. space or something I don't know because I know like in Taiwan they had a contract with Google in
0: Taiwan it. they did oh really no.
2: so, yeah so
0: so Google helped Taiwan but more than know. they helped the fucking United States no
1: I yeah. feel like I mean my part of that might just be like the US government <laughs> would never do that um whereas yeah I was I was this thinking about depressing. this this week. I was teaching my class, and at the beginning, I assigned this article that was in Columbia Journalism Review by um, An Xiaomina last year about like the way we talk about Chinese tech often is one-sided, but actually a lot of the things we talk about with Chinese tech applies to like American tech, too, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the broader point was sort of like, we, we I think we talked about this on the show before, we tend to think of the internet as this neutral international thing, but it's basically an American invention. That we tend to believe is international and that if 20 years ago, China had not shut out Facebook and Gmail and Google, none none of these Chinese companies we know of today would exist because they would have been all sucked up by these American companies. So, Jay, are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I'm just making sure my mic goes. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So yeah, I wonder, I don't know, are we heading in a direction where, because it sounds like you guys are both saying we should just nationalize the internet. But if we didn't, no, the I'm not internet, saying
0: that at all. I'm not saying we should nationalize the internet. I just think that we should like figure out ways to, you know, limit the power of these companies in a, in a lot of ways, you know, and I don't. But, but limit I them to
1: American we law. We could nationalize.
2: Well, yes.
0: Yeah, right. that's the only mechanism we have. It's right, exactly. imperfect, but like, but what the else thing, do?
2: no, but the thing is, the internet already is regulated different differently in different countries. So, for instance, like in Europe, where reputation protection laws are stronger, right? There has to be all these sorts of disclosures. A lot of the cookies agreements we have to click through are actually because of European yeah. regulation that have changed the practices of these companies. So it's not true, true. that even these multinationals they operate differently yeah, in different contexts. And I think also, I mean, if you think about, so like. In the same way that if someone says "fuck" on Maddow, they get censored, mm-hmm. right? Like, if even if we just had like those basic sort of civility rules that had been applied right. to Trump on these platforms, we would be in a very okay. different place right now. And I, I just think like, you know, through government, I know, I know the government isn't perfect, whatever, whatever. But I do think like at some point, a company reaches a standard where it truly does resemble water and electricity. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it just needs to tip over. into. Well, oh yeah, and that's
0: totally what different. Facebook does in yeah. other countries, right? Like Facebook is right. yeah, the exactly. Internet in other like, countries in a lot of the developing world. And in that way, exactly, if you have an American company that's doing that, then you should treat them as sort of the right. world power that they are. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I'm always I'm, I'm very allergic to I, I know that it's neoliberal as well, but I'm basically <laughs> like a free speech absolutist and I don't like people telling me what to do. And I just think that, like, I just don't think that you should ever deplatform anybody, because I think that it sets weird precedents, and I also just think it's immoral, you know. So,
2: but do you agree with like how on TV there are rules? Yeah, around, I don't like, think there should be truth and advertising. I don't think there should
0: be those rules either.
2: <laughs> you don't think there should be rules yeah, around truth in yeah, advertising? I think cigarette companies should be able to okay. advertise and stuff like that. I'm not a libertarian, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, this is good. Let's let's go with some. Yeah, of those rules. Yeah,
0: Um It's more like I think it's more of like. A, anarcho streak that started when I was in high school and I haven't been able to fully suppress yet, you know, to be honest, but <laughs> I just have a, I just, you know, like I just feel very, I feel strong reactions every time something like this happens and the reason why in terms of like the internet is just because I think that like they're gonna just turn around and fuck up the yeah. people on our side. Yeah. Just as like, you know, everybody talks about free speech, free speech, free speech on the right and then quietly what happens, right? Quietly the Republican legislatures and in- 15, 18, 22 states start passing anti-protest laws, right? Like, totally. under the same guise of this sort of thing there. And, and it is mm. normalized, I think, in a lot of ways by, you know, de I think it's, mm. it's normalized in a lot of ways. If you, like, do cancel culture stuff, which we all agree is stupid, mm-hmm. right? But that is, like, an, it is, like, sort of cultural capital that these people use. And then they turn around and they just shut down everything else. And they don't shut them down by being mean to them on the fucking internet, they like make it an arrestable offense to do this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that stuff worries me and I do think that you need a culture where everything is okay to make sure that like protests can continue to exist and the more that you regulate stuff and the more that you make it difficult, you know, the more that they're going to hit our side on it, I think, in much more effective ways than we can hit them on their side. Like what can we do? They're like, "Oh yeah, we got rid of Alex Jones off the internet." Like, "Who fucking cares?" You know? Like like it, like kids and like it's legal to run over protesters now. You know, like that's much more meaningful to me. So, yeah. I don't know. That's my thought on it. But
2: see, I think that I think that that chain that you just described is because we are treating what should be public goods as we're allowing them to be capitalized companies i think if we didn't do that if we actually place them in a democratic context where there were a process of rights and appeal and we had like a rhetoric around that it would be different maybe
0: maybe i'm not saying it I, i'm not saying like if they nationalized twitter tomorrow would i be mad i would be confused you know i'd be like what what just happened <laughs> 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 but i'd be like all right let's let's see how this goes you know part of me agrees with this you know and then the sort of it of me is just like fuck you. Don't tell me what to do. You Maybe there would be but... like uh, you know like
1: a, ca- a cable <laughs> oh Twitter, God. a basic cable Twitter, and then like premium. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, premium ta- cable where it's I like, like I was watching Seriously the Wire again, and it's like it really like hits you when you watch the Wire. How much of like the that era of HBO was based off of just showing boobs? Yeah, yeah. You know, like everyone just gets naked. <laughs> hey, on the wire. Oh, yeah, it's oh, yeah. just. Everyone remember just takes that their as shirt off. Uh, yeah, they all do it. Yeah. they And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's like, that was what HBO was selling at that point. Um, all right. Do you want to talk about David Brooks?
2: Ugh. Okay, yeah, We're sure. not just
0: talking about David Brooks. We're talking so about, like, I think this has actually been one of the more interesting conversations on the left, because I think there it's really been polarizing for people who are on the left, and it's a question of school reopenings, right? And so David Brooks wrote... He outdid David Brooks. He like outdid himself in this way that was like totally disgusting to me, and I think to many people. But I'm gonna read from it for those of you who didn't read it. There's a wave of anti-intellectualism sweeping America. There are people across the country who deny evidence, invent their own facts, and live in their own fantasy land. We saw it in the Republicans who denied the reality of the Biden election victory. And we see it now in the teachers unions that are shutting down schools and marring children's lives. What the fuck, man? You
2: know,
0: (laughs) he is comparing teachers unions to the fucking Capitol rioters. That's the lead of the fucking story. Like. Are you out of your fucking mind?
2: I really cannot. <laughs> like, can
0: you imagine? Like, that, Deal. yeah, Tammy right now is like, is breaking out of hives on Zoom. Um, <laughs> what are the facts? am like Yeah, what are the facts when it comes to COVID 19 in schooling? The first fact is, okay, then he, like, he says that remote learning is a disaster, especially for disadvantaged students, and then he goes through these facts, right?
2: How does he know, yeah. also? Yeah. It's just yeah. like, you've literally never, yeah. anyway.
0: Also, like, I I, you know, I'm not going to say something mean about his like, uh, you know, 25-year-old wife or whatever. so you know, but it would be hard for her to have a, ch- a school-aged child. The fourth fact is that this situation is especially devastating to poor black and brown students. Many affluent kids have fled the public school disaster for private schools. It's black and brown kids who live in cities with progressive mayors and powerful unions, and those are the places where in-school learning has been closed down. A study by Michael T. Hartney and Leslie Finger found that political partisanship and teacher union strength explain how school boards approached reopening. Another survey conducted last year by Chalkbeat and the Associated Press found that roughly half of white students had access to in-person learning compared to a quarter of black and Hispanic kids. Readers, this is the most despicable part. Readers, many of us got involved in the Black Lives Matter marches last summer. You didn't, David, you <laughs> fucking... Okay, anyway, I guess I would ask you, do black <laughs> lives matter to you only when they serve your political purpose? If not, shouldn't we all be marching to get black and brown children back safely into schools right now? Yeah. I, I gotta say,
1: like he really no, outdid no himself. Irony of
0: this guy. He really outdid himself. Like this is the, oh you know, God. like not, you know, for a little bit, I was thinking that maybe I would like go work on the opinion page at the New York Times, and like apparently that's not happening. So fuck this, you know, like I don't actually even have to like, <laughs> I don't have to hold my tongue at all. Like this is dis- <laughs> this is like despicable, you know, like so it bad. is like I don't. People can disagree about schools, you know, they could disagree about whether they should be open. They can disagree about like the politics of it or whether it's, you know, whether it's an undue burden on like uh, on working on working women, all this sorts. Of, these are real questions. But to throw like black and brown kids in front of the bus and say, like, You know, remember when you got mad about that uh, police officer who fucking murdered this guy in cold blood? Killed you, yeah. Like, isn't it time for you to stand up to the fucking teachers' unions? Like, what the fuck is this thing?
2: it's so unreal it <laughs> is this fucking whole... crazy
0: oh all right well okay outside of disgust though like what what do you think about this because this issue has really become center front and center it's not just because of david brooks it's because people now have had their kids out of school for 10 months and they're mm-hmm. fucking worried you know so the anxiety is real you know like it mm-hmm. sucks to have your kid out of school like my friend her kid is a senior in high school this is her senior year. Is sitting at home with her mom. Like it's brutal, you know. Like and you feel bad for your kid. Like I feel bad enough because like my kid is going to preschool right now and she wears a mask all day. It's heartbreaking to watch, you know. Like all this shit that they're doing and the kids are like sitting in, like sitting six feet away from each other. They're outside all the time. They're wearing masks. You know, like it's tough as a parent to watch. If your kid is like in middle school and they're falling behind it causes a lot of anxiety and like i don't think you can begrudge yeah. parents for really worrying about this and asking difficult questions that need to be asked even if those difficult questions are to the or are, are to the teachers union right like we can have like a good discourse on this totally. but this shit holy like i mean like but like i don't know like i find it like I, what what do you think about it tammy like what what like what what you're like generally the international workers of the world unite personage show, like what do you think about this
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i think this is something the three of us have chatted about a lot during this period which is that there's a lot of disingenuousness in this reporting right so brooks is brooks's piece is the crystallization the apotheosis of this argument which has been mostly made mean by like white liberals basically that We need to reopen schools because of black and brown people. From
0: the very beginning of the pandemic. This was From the the very beginning. So
2: we've been listening to this for ten months and like there's always been something very strange about this rhetoric, right? Because like then you look at the surveys, which, of course, Brooks did selectively omitted from his yeah. piece, which is that most of the people who don't want to go back, don't want to send their kids back are black and brown. Like black and brown parents want to keep their kids home. Especially
0: more. black parents, much more than That's like been consistent or Latino right? parents. Like black parents in every major yeah. city in America are unified in this idea that they do not want to send their kids back. They're OK with remote learning. Right. And it totally is the opposite of what that narrative is, because the narrative is like, and like the narrative itself from the beginning is so Ugh. fucking racist, you know. Like it, mm. it. I'm sorry. Like it just makes me so mad because what is the what so is the subtext of what you're saying that these kids need school? A, you're saying the parents can't take care of the care of the kids, hmm. you know. B, you're saying all the kids are fucking stupid, and if they're out of school, they're going to fall back further, you know. Which you know, like yes, there are edu- there are like equity and education gaps or whatever, but the idea that like. And the third thing is that, like, they, the kids need to be wards of the state or it's hopeless, mm. you know. And that's so right. insulting to the parents. Totally. So insulting to the parents. And then when the polls started coming out, and I will just say and put it out there and say, like, this narrative is really pushed by the New York Times' education reporting, you know, Definitely. like, from the very beginning, just saying, like, black and brown kids, black and brown kids are going to suffer. Black and brown kids are going to suffer. Like all the polls come out every single poll and you know to their credit the you know the new york times ed- education desk did put out an article today that, that finally addressed this you know the mm-hmm. the fact that the polling and the attendance logs polls are one thing but when you when you actually have attendance logs you're like yeah. hey you know only white kids are showing up like i think that's fucking evidence at that point you know um, and so they they put in some of the 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 information at this point which is um, in Chicago, only about a third of black families have indicated that they are willing to return to classrooms, compared with 67% of white families, and the city's teacher un- teachers' union, which is hurtling towards the strike, has made the disparity a core part of its argument a- against in-person classes. In New York City, about 12,000 more white children have returned to classrooms than black students, though black students make up a larger share of the overall district. In Oakland, California, just about a third of black parents said that they would consider in-person learning compared to more than half of white families. There was a really funny photo of, like, uh, the protest in Oakland. <laughs> it's, like, totally white. Can you imagine, like, a totally white protest in <laughs> Oakland? Like, it doesn't exist. But like wow, that's, what that's it was. actually yeah. hard to Yeah, pull it's off. very hard to pull off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just about a third of black parents. Yeah, okay. Um And black families in Washington, Nashville, Dallas, and other districts have also indicated that they would keep their children learning at home at higher rates than white families. In many cities and districts, Latino and Asian American families are also less likely than white families to send their children back. Asian Americans have opted out of in-person classes at the highest rate of any ethnic group in New York City. Latino families in Chicago were most likely to say they would keep their children at home when schools reopened. So, like, basically what we're saying is that whole narrative is a fucking lie, you know? Like it was, and I'm, you know, I will give credit to the Times for like putting out this article and, and, you know, putting it out there. Like, I think I, I actually do like think that it was good that they did this because I think the way that it was going, it just seemed like I was, you know, in my head, I was just like, how long can they keep humping this fucking lie? It took long enough though. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm trying to be charitable here, but it was like (laughs) (laughs) after nine months, you guys finally put out the shit that's been out there for nine months, you know? Right. Um, I don't know. I, I I this thing makes me so bad. But Andy, I want to get your thoughts first, just because I've been ranting for like I mean, ten minutes. I'm, like what I have, you? I haven't
1: followed as much <laughs> as you guys. I'm just trying to figure out what is the what do you think the motive or the incentive is then to distort this? Is it is it like is it a class thing that they want these kids in school so that they can keep like uh, their kids credentialed and keep them moving up the grades and getting prepared for standardized testing and but like, what, what do you think is the reason that there is this sort of racial disparity of opinion? Well, OK,
0: so there's two things, right? Uh, Tammy, correct me if I'm wrong. But the first thing is that most black and this was in the Times story as well, but it, it had come out before the schools that these black kids are going to are not ventilated. They're falling apart. They're not well run. The parents all know this shit, you know. And They're like, I'm not sending my kid back to that fucked up school, you know, like, like, like for what? Like, you know, you read something about ventilation, and then you think about the school your kid goes to, like, and the, you think about like the way that the schools run. You're like, absolutely not, you know, yeah. like I'm not. And then, and then you add in the higher mortality rates for like black, hmm. for for black mm-hmm. people with COVID, and then you just don't send your kid back, you know. And so I think that's part of it, but I don't know. I like, is there another interpretation you have, Tammy, other than like they at some point like the the powerful people. Who want their kids back in school? You know, invented a narrative, and they threw black and brown kids, like poor black and brown kids, (laughs) under the you know under the fucking bus, you know, because they don't want to say like we want the schools open for white people and start like a racialized thing in big air quotes, you know, like yeah, they just
2: no. I think that last thing you said is really key because it's like white people in the cities that we're talking about are a vast minority of the public school population, and so. But and, and in a way, if they highlighted their own desires, they would be emphasizing. Yeah, they that, would be nice. They would be, that be that nice. White massive segregation, and that there's like incredible <laughs> yeah. white flight to the point where they're like a super minority of the population. So they basically they are like throwing black and brown families under the bus at the same time that they are essentially using them as mm-hmm. mascots mm-hmm. for their aims. I think that's what is so troubling about it. And The one thing I would say about the the New York Times article today, though, that I was happy that they put that out, but I was also frustrated. So in the section that Jay was reading, he was talking about, like, what the teachers unions have been pushing for. And, you know, incidentally, Chicago Teachers Union is basically, like, responsible for maybe the last decade of good activism in unions and, like, on the left. Like, it is a key node in left America. They're, like, always on strike. But also, I think, like... um, There's an interesting slippage in the language that the writers use. So they they talk about education Mm -hmm. leaders and then they talk about teachers unions. Yeah. And they're never, ever talking about school leaders or experts as being belonging to unions or parent organizations. It's always just like bureaucrats. Mm -hmm and appointed or officials or academics who like and stu- I, stu- yeah stu- yeah or academics like that, like that brown woman brown, who keeps issuing yeah. not like not the Balticata brown woman the woman at brown yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah sorry the brown woman <laughs> brown yeah, university yeah, yeah yeah um so you know i think to me that was very interesting because that is part of what's been happening for this entire period where it's like surely the unions only have whatever their greedy dues in mind and they don't give a fuck and we can only really credit the representations of like superintendents and Ivy yeah, League yeah, researchers yeah, 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 on these yeah. matters. You know? Yeah, no, that's it's what so it is. What do you think is Brooks's Crazy.
1: motive? Like he just wants his kids back in school? Cause I doubt his kids go to public these public schools, right? So like yeah, what is, is, there, is it like he hates unions or what do you think it is?
0: <laughs> I think that people are trained at this point if you are like a liberal in one of these cities to really distrust the unions you know mm. and I do think that some people are thinking in, in real like they have good faith ideas behind it I don't think that everybody is doing this like thing where they're like I want my kid back to school so I'm gonna toss these poor black kids in front of the bus you know it's a very devious thing to think you know <laughs> like you have to be really <laughs> fucked in the head to do that on purpose but that's the effect here right mm. and so like, like I don't think that we can excuse it because the effect is so fucking obvious it's been that way for 10 months Rachel Cohen who is a Friend of the podcast has done great she's done yeah. great reporting on this and she and she really did sort of take apart the woman from brown you know who has been putting out <laughs> not the brown woman the woman from brown who has been putting out a lot of this stuff but you know following her work it's just become so clear that there are people who are incentivized to make this argument you know and they do and like look it's important for kids to go to school we you know andy you and i both have a kid it's difficult you know it's difficult when they're not in school it was really difficult for us as a family when our kid was staying at home all the time. Today was a snow day, so that was today for me. You see the kids suffer. (laughs) And so for preschool kids, you know, you just have to make a choice, right? Like the the kid's three years old, like very low chance. Like it's difficult maybe to transmit to teachers. Teachers at the school got vaccinated. You know, so you, you make these choices and you go along. But like that's like it's just so strange when like basically people are like, I think that I think that people like David Brooks, for example, or the people who write these things, I think they just have a lot of skepticism towards teachers' unions Mm. in general. You know, I think that's what it is. I mean, like, look, there's the entire movement of education since, like, Michelle fucking Ray, Mm. right? Like, that's all anti-union stuff, right? Like, how much of, like, American education theory, how much of American education higher-ups, how much of academic education shit is directly in response to the power of teachers union. It's a fuckload of it, right? Like it's it's gotta be like almost all of it at this point. Everything is reaction to like, the all powerful teachers unions, like, you know, who keep bad teachers in the classroom and they don't care. They don't want to compete. That's why all the schools are bad, right? Like, isn't that the narrative the last 20 years of education? So, of course, when it comes to blame somebody for schools being closed, you know, which should be blamed on the government for fucking up the COVID response, they're going to blame the teachers unions. I think that's my interpretation. Tammy, do you have a different interpretation?
2: I think that's right. But I I think I would also just add that I think this has basically become a kind of liberal gospel that now... Brooks wants to basically parrot. Because uh, he's
0: pivoting. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> basically. So in like in the same way that school choice mm. and anti-union teacher stuff and innovation and equity were like the main talking points of like Obama and Arnie Duncan yeah. and stuff like that's that's Brooks's wing of the world. And I think like these past Few months of like rhetoric around this have basically solidified this position that he's now just put into this article So you know he doesn't really ever write anything original <laughs> or interesting so like he's now consolidated this slime into this piece
0: yeah
2: um you know so it is anti-union and everything but it's also this just sort of kind of amorphous like equity i love black black and black and brown people yeah. sort of thing that he's now gone it's himself so
0: onto. weird right like like it's what very um troubling. and then the the other like I don't know it the other part of it that i think about is just like look if we are to accept which i do not by the way but let's put ourselves in a world where we accept that teachers unions in some states are maybe holding the line harder than they should you know and they are being more difficult than they need to be let's assume a world where that's true where all of us don't think that's true right no okay but let's assume that world can you fucking blame them you mm-hmm. know, like think about all the shit that they've been <laughs> through. Like, why would they trust anything? Yeah. Right. Like, you go to like like Arizona, West Virginia, oh, really? Arizona, like you know Oklahoma, all these states where they had teachers, they had to have teacher strikes because like teachers have to buy the classroom supplies out of their tiny salaries. Yeah. They've had no raises in ten years. Full austerity <laughs> within the public school system. You know, while like they're giving out handouts to energy companies and shit like that. You know, like yeah. Why would those teachers do shit for the fucking state? You know, like, like yeah. in what, what is there? Like, and then people are like, oh, but you signed up to be a teacher. Just like, I didn't sign up to fucking die in this classroom, yeah. you know? <laughs> Especially since I know that these motherfuckers aren't gonna, they're not gonna do shit to fucking help me, you know? Like, they yeah. don't care if I die. Like, they've made that abundantly clear because they haven't given me any sort of livable working conditions for 10 years, my entire uh, career as a teacher. Why would I trust them now? And if you can't sympathize with that, then, like, I don't know what to tell you, you know? Like, we're in a really shitty situation. Kids, like, it would be wonderful if kids could go back to school, right? Like, you can be sympathetic towards all of that, but, like, man, to throw this all at the feet of, like, the teacher's union, I don't know, it's just, like...
2: It's so much... Yeah, and it's such a... I think it's such a a clear symbol of like our, our our austerity thinking also where we have to always pose everybody against one right. another like teachers and students are in the same space and we're talking about a respiratory yeah. disease that is has to do with space and like this is the same thing with like nurses and patients like oh nurses don't give a fuck about patients it's like no they do and also they're in the exact same space like these are people whose, whose interests are like literally yeah. coincidental yeah. right now in the most like obvious way and and still this kind of neoliberal thing is like, oh, well, if you're fighting for your rights, then you must be against the rights right. of these kids. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, and it's never asking a larger question than whose fault is this directly? Like, who's not, in, who's not going back to work? Right. You know? <laughs> and then like, it's like, I, I just remember there, you know, I will not name names, but people who were making this argument earlier, who were saying things like, oh, you know, they just need to like, toughen up and go back you know sure. go back into the classroom and it's just like all right then you go back into the fucking times building tomorrow seriously go you know like go like go breathe in the fucking coffee coffee room with like 30 other people or like you know 25 like dirty little kids <laughs> you know go do it i fucking dare you you won't You know, so like, why would you expect somebody else to do it? You know, somebody who makes less money than you, who has less job security than you, you know, who who's been screwed over consistently by like the system that they work for. Like, why would you why do you think they should go back? You know, I don't know. This thing is like infuriating me. It's made me mad for 10 months. I'm glad that I could vent it out. Um, I apologize for all the cursing. But like that, (laughs) that Brooks thing, like I was like, me too. my jaw dropped. (laughs) I was like, like, he really fucking did
1: that? Anyway, we don't have to.
2: It was universal condemnation, I mean, maybe, though, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody was like, "Yeah, this is maybe so good." Maybe
1: because David Brooks said it,
0: so it might. I,
2: exactly. That's why they published this article today. It
0: was a net positive, I think, right? Don't you think it was a net yeah. positive? Like it was like one of you know. He's like the. It was a socialist. He's man. like the hedge fund. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Acceleration. <laughs> David Brooks is, David is now Brooks. like a Marxist Leninist, you know. And he's like he's like, what if I use my platform for good? You know, he's like, oh get a lot of this one. <laughs> 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 I'm going to piss them all off yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, okay So good. Um, wow we're, we're like we're right on time with all this this is great this is the best time we've made alright let's go to listener
1: questions <laughs> right um, Andy do you want to read this uh, I think Tammy <laughs> Tammy well okay Tammy put this together but we've been getting a lot of um, comments on um, old episodes <laughs> from seven months ago <laughs> So I feel like there might be like a Reddit thread about this somewhere Um, uh, about various. um, Okay, so like so obviously several episodes or several months ago, I did these sort of one on one talks with my friends on various questions that revolve around this idea of sort of mm, tankyism or I guess the technical term is campism or which I heard recently or sort of siding with the Chinese state in this sort of Mm -hmm. uh, battle against American imperialism. Um, you know Brian Hugh on this question of this sort of uh, online troll group called the Chow Collective, and then Darren um, Byler on you know what's going on in Xinjiang, and um, and you know we kind of like bring up tankies once in a while that comes up in conversation once in a while, and I think it kind of tr- it triggers some listeners to kind of write in and kind of say like we're being not sympathetic enough uh, to some of these viewpoints, and so you know Tammy was saying we should probably address this. Um, um, which i'm a little scared to do but uh i mean i think okay so the, the basic objection is like we're not sympathetic that and especially there's a lot of asian and asian american asian diasporic people who are actually quite sympathetic to these views about uh skepticism towards reports about what's going on in xinjiang for instance um and then also hong kong right those are the, the kind of two um banner issues right um and i think i mean one thing i would say is like i the, my goal is not to, and I apologize if it come out, comes off this way, to like antagonize for the sake of antagonization, right? And I don't think, you know, we're just, we're having fun, we're joking, and obviously we might disagree, but I think, I think one thing that gets lost is the, for I think for a lot of these people, their initial impulse at the very outset might be kind of shared in common with us, which is some sort of disgust or cynicism towards some perceived enemy that's bad in the world, right? And, and that gets for a lot of them translate into like the united states or kind of settles upon the united states right as this kind of imperial mm-hmm. force around the world and i think for a lot of them they cannot trust anything that gets that's tainted with the united states so like a source that's talking about what's happening in xinjiang or hong kong as long as that as long as that source for instance adrian zenz is this kind of famous um source that talks about what's going on with the camps in xinjiang um they always kind of talk about well his funding is from XYZ international organization or American organization. Um, so a lot of this comes down to in the end, a lot of like, who is funding you and where's the money come from? And mm-hmm. on, one, on some basic level, you know, I think all of us get that, right? Like how can we trust what's in them? Like we just did a whole thing, right? About like, what are the, what are the, what are the <laughs> ulterior motives of the things we read about in the news? Um, but, you know, like beyond that, I do think there are some fundamental disagreements um, at least, you know, personally, I, I don't want to throw you guys under the bus with with um, a lot of these ultra national sort of pro Chinese nationalist positions that take the guise of anti U.S. imperialism. Uh, I, I mean, before I keep rambling, I don't know, Tam, if you wanted to jump in, I know you had some thoughts on your own.
2: No, I think that's a really good summary. And I guess I'd be curious what you guys think. I mean, to me, there's a persistent frustration in these conversations, which is basically like the retort that these people will say and criticize, or the the main critique that they will say is that we are saying that U.S. imperialism is not as bad as Chinese imperialism. In other words, I feel like the critique forces us into a kind of binary thinking where we have to choose who our imperial master will be. (laughs) And I don't want to do that. Like, I think it's bad both futures are bad and i don't think it's really interesting to weigh you know to have a list of like which countries have been worst for the world yeah, I, agree. I guess is I'm
0: my with point. you tammy
2: yeah and so but but you know i get it like i i totally get what the us is doing all over the world and has done all over the world like it's really messed up and I can see why certain people would be sympathetic towards certain of the moves that China is potentially making to guard against further U.S. encroachment. But also China can be just as bad. And we're talking about. So I don't know where the other we think we're talking like that. when we
1: say like U.S. and China, we're talking about the governments and I don't know, corporations or orange right. companies or whatever. Like um, I understand on some basic level, yeah, we live in a certain country, we pay taxes, we have citizenship but there's a difference between that and like identifying with the government. Like I don't think anyone would want to feel like they're forced to do any of that stuff. I think the interesting question is like, how persuasive is this line of argument that who funds you is kind of like what matters. Um, And I know we've had conversations about this offline about like, for instance, as journalists, you all are like constantly looking for sources of funding. And as an academic, so am I, and all sources of funding in this world because of how this world is structured always come back to you know some arms dealer or some oil company or some government that <laughs> you know is like o- occupying
0: one Basically. of the two you know or like the heirs of like somebody who did something
1: fucking horrible yeah, I yeah. <laughs> you
2: know? rockefellers yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like i could i mean my my cvs or my whatever i don't, I don't I'm, not, I'm trying to brag about this like a lot of <laughs> stuff people foundations that have supported my research that can be found on the internet and you could look in you know like soros is in there somewhere right you know like well, you're a Soros <laughs> plant. That's amazing. You know, like I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, Coke is probably somewhere in there. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's like it's it's difficult.
0: Um, I don't know. It's pretty difficult to to disentangle all of that. But I do think that there is some responsibility for people to be transparent about it, and I also think that it's. There's a responsibility to make sure that your work is not reinforcing that stuff. Right. So I don't think we should just shrug about it. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that we should we should interrogate those things and that we should whenever possible not do it. Right. But at the same time, you're right. We have no idea where half of this money comes from. Right. It's like Clay Davis. Do you remember that? Like from The Wire? I've been rewatching yeah, The Wire. You're deep in the old HBO. Like, you think I know where every check comes from? You know? And then it's like, yeah, it's kind of like what everybody's like, right? We don't know where this money comes from. So it's like, like you know, this is how he was disavowing himself when people are like, oh, are you receiving money from Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale? And he's like, I don't know where every check comes from. You know, you think I vet all of that? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's... uh. I, I think that that I I I, I find that like I, I'm sure this is just a reactionary position though, right? Because they're so tired of it, um, hearing that everything is CCP propaganda, so they want to say everything is Soros or Coke propaganda, right? Like, isn't that their response?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just like deep cynicism about um, anything that yeah. comes from you know. It's like you know, there's a left version and a right wing version of this, and you know, I'm. Successful you know, susceptible mm-hmm. too, too. I read, or I I watched Manufacturing Consent. You know, like I understand. <laughs> you I understand watched stuff. it. <laughs> uh, I listened to it. It <laughs> was a documentary. I, did, I, did. Right? <laughs> I don't think I read the book, but I think I watched. Like uh, I listened. To, I listened to the book. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah Like, I, and I get in it. And, you know, if we, if
1: we have time to talk about what's going on in Myanmar, right? like that part of the world, like it's like you don't really know who to believe. The New York Times is not the most believable. I mean, the one thing I said, like you know, someone asked me on Twitter, like what to read about Xinjiang, and it wasn't just like listen to the episode I did with Darren. It was more like read read different stuff, <laughs> you know, and especially the fact that if it gets published in, for instance, the South China Morning Post, which is now owned by you know the Alibaba people in China, that's yeah. it says something. The fact that they themselves are report or are or, or printing stuff because it comes from the Chinese government's own reports, and so if you kind of are well versed in what's what all these different sources are 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 reporting then i think that's the best way to kind of figure out what you think is true and you know we might not agree no no i apply two people are not going to agree on the, the exact sort of like where is the truth but um it's 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 better than sort of saying like because this is this is just like you know what the gray zone people do they're just like they don't attack the arguments they don't deal with any of the evidence they don't talk about how the yeah. world works they just say you're funded by X, Y, Z. But. NEA Yeah, yeah, yeah um,
0: Okay, Tammy That's helpful We're going to return to a segment that we, always, that we wanted to do every week <laughs> But we keep forgetting Tammy's News Corner This is where Tammy tells us something <laughs> That is outside of the usual stuff that we talk about over and over again And is good for people to know So Tammy, what is, what is your News Corner today?
2: <laughs> Without being overly didactic Um Today, I woke up to news about a military coup in Myanmar, which Andy just referred to. And it was very startling to me because, um, you know, you guys probably know that, you know, pre-2015, this was basically the cycles that Myanmar was going through over and over again, which is basically a different series of military juntas post-independence uh, from colonial rule. And, and then Aung San Suu Kyi... You know, was finally recognized, and her party, the NLD, was finally recognized by the military. But this was always like a very fragile truce, right? As as, as we've observed, and and now that's over. Like whatever charade the military was willing to go by is yep. now over. And there's all these interesting questions raised by this because, I mean, not to make it, not to you know cover up what it means for actual human beings every day, but there was around the genocide of the Rohingya, or what is a contested. You know, treatment yeah. of the Rohingya people, which is one of the minority groups in, is that, is that how you pronounce it? in Myanmar. There was always
0: Rohingya. yeah.
2: Rohingya. Yeah. There was always a question of whether Suu Kyi really approved this or whether it was the military. And she, you know, has basically had her all of her accolades stripped from her because now she's known as like right, a right. genocidaire. But, but But now but this right kind of raises some questions though. of like, well, actually, was she fighting? The, the military, the entire time around this, you know, because I did a, some reporting on Myanmar a couple of years ago, and that's what I kept hearing from her, like defenders, but not patsies, like people who would make colorable arguments about what was actually going on at the Capitol. They would say, like, well, Suu Kyi really, you know, she's trying to hold a line. And that's why she'll go in front of The Hague and say, we're not really murdering these people en masse, because she wants, she knows if she goes too far, the military mm-hmm. will take it back. And so she was reelected in November. And it appears now the military is taking it back. Um, So I'm, you know, just I think it's something really to keep an eye on because this was like a really important development in Southeast Asia that the junta period was over in Myanmar. And now that seems to have collapsed. Um, I was also very touched to see that Thai activists were protesting against this, Mm -hmm. which I think is very touching and speaks to like how the Thai population has been really activated through its own. Um, struggles which we've talked about on the show so you know I was curious if you guys had thoughts on it I I also think it's relevant to Americans because election fraud was ostensibly what what, you know they used to for the Tatmadaw to take power again and so that's very familiar to us here this is like a universal strategy yeah the
1: obvious meme is like this you want to like you know this is a real coup like this is is... Um, I don't know yeah I mean I'm, I'm curious about We don't know very much beyond what you just kind of said, right? Like, what the actual forces are, what the military's actual plans are. Like, they claimed they were going to do, like, a one-year coup or something, and then they would, like, revisit the issue or something.
2: Exactly. Like, we're going to detain Suu Kyi and everybody and just kind of freeze the government under military rule for a year and then have an election again, which seems not so do, do most
1: people think like there was no election fraud that she actually is popular enough and that she would have won i think 70 percent of the vote or whatever right yeah,
2: yeah.
1: so yeah i don't know yeah. like is, is there a sense of like what, the, what does the military want other than like their own power like are they are they are they is there a talk of like they're backed by someone or you know they have other interests
2: i think No, I don't think, I mean, I think it, it, you know, I think the main debate I saw today was this question of, is there something, basically just like this debate of, is this just a matter of them basically peeling back what has been happening this five years anyway? Or is this like a further, you know, aggression? And I think we don't quite know, but I don't know. I think like the military is the military and they've always been very powerful there. so. Um, yeah, I think it's a loss for democracy, even if the democracy was yeah. thin.
0: Yeah, uh, and we don't want to absolve Suchi completely. No, of, I mean, no, not at
2: all. I mean, I think she. I think
0: that was a genocide. I think she know? is a genocide. Yeah. Do you think so? Really? In my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh and yeah. You know, I'm sorry. You can protest a little bit more than she did. You know, or and um, maybe she was in a difficult position. But you know what happened was a genocide. Yeah. You know, there's no two ways about it. And she was in she was in charge. You know, and for a lot of it, she didn't say shit about it. You know, like that was the beginning of her response. It's just like she would be silent about it. And I yeah. don't think any of that is absolvable, even if she was in a difficult position. Yeah. So you don't think um, the gun was like
1: to her head the whole time or anything?
0: It might have been, but you know, yeah. sometimes you just get to get shot in the head. You know, I'm serious. <laughs> you know, like I'm sorry. Like you know, sometimes you just take the bullet. Um, On a sad note, you know, we want to end the show with the... uh, Corky Lee died this week. He was 71 years old. He died of uh, COVID-19. Corky Lee, for those who don't know, um, there's been a lot of very nice tributes about him. But he's sort of the... I don't know. He's sort of like the photographer for Asian America. And uh, you look at his work, and I hope all of you do if you haven't already or if you haven't seen the tributes. And you see, in the same way that we talked about with Chan is Missing, you see, like, other possibilities. He did a lot of photos of protests. He did a lot of photos of, like, people standing up for their rights. And you see Asian people in that context. And, you know, when I first saw his, I was also introduced to him by Wa. Like, Wah is, like, basically, like, my... This is like, he's just, like, like, a, a lesson in Asian American He's, person. like, my Yoda of, like, being <laughs> yeah, exactly. Asian, you know? He's, like, like I, I, like, come in as this, like... Like just totally unformed mass of like anger, you know, and was like, and then he's like, "This guy doesn't know anything about shit." He's like, "I'm sorry, I was raised in North Carolina, you know. <laughs> I went to I went to college in Maine. I don't know anything, you know." So, um, you see new possibilities that you might not have seen before, or if you knew that those possibilities were there, you see them in this sort of touching, refreshing light. Um, and yeah, you know, it's sad that that uh, that he died, and it makes it even more. Incomprehensible, like so many other people, that he died of, you know, coronavirus at this stage of the fucking pandemic yeah. when really nobody should be dying yeah. of coronavirus, sure. you know, and um, like fuck. it's it was it was another yeah. one of those things where you just get very mad at the government's response because you're just like, like, what the fuck is the point? Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. totally. How does this make any sense? Like, we can't fucking get this thing under control at all. And then more people are dying, and you know it's not just Corky. It's not that like a famous Asian photographer died. It's just that like it's just another person. We're just like, well, that was fucking pointless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. Like, totally. Um, so uh, yeah. all right, to power. to Corky Lee, and um, thank you to all the people who who did these tributes to him. Like I was very touched reading them, and uh, you know, it was. I thought that the. I, I thought that the obituary in the Times was great. I thought NPR did some great stuff, and um, you know, and I thought that the piece that Wa wrote uh, was also was also great. And so you should read that. Yeah.
2: Uh, and also just people on like random people on Twitter. who yep. Who just encountered him in different spaces, being like he always hmm. showed up.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. He was always there with his camera at every single you know, event. like it's right?
2: so meaningful. Just like yeah. yeah. Mostly in New York numbers. City,
1: right?
0: Yeah, in Queens. Yeah, Yeah, he was from, or he died in Queens, but a lot of the stuff he did was in Chinatown in New York City. In Chinatown. Um, And so, if anyone is a documentarian of of Chinatown, I think it's him. And uh, yeah, he's passed, which is, you know, it's sad. Um, All right. So, on that note, uh, thank you for listening to our show. We have an announcement that we're going to be putting out tomorrow, and we're going to just say it here, which is that we, like every other podcast, are going to be starting a Patreon. (laughs) And, um, you know, like we debated doing this, this is like our fifth, we've been doing this for a year almost, and we've done it all for free. Like Tammy, Andy, and I have not made a penny doing this podcast. And, uh, our aim is not necessarily to make money doing the podcast, but just to like, you know, pay for producers or pay for, uh, which we don't have any of, of, or maybe pay for somebody to help edit the show, help with the, with the, uh, constant problems with the sound quality, <laughs> which none of us are qualified to address, you know? Um, and you know, maybe get us some working microphones and stuff like that. And to, but also to, you know, just to make it so that, um, you know, that, that, that we can keep doing the show, right? Because like after a year, then people get a little bit tired and then, you know, um, if we could keep doing it, if you guys could give small contributions, I think it would really help us out a lot. We'll have that link up, uh, tomorrow when the show comes out on Tuesday and, you know, we would appreciate any, any help that you can give. We're gonna have some incentives for that, which you can see um, tomorrow. Like, you know, it's gonna be some episodes that we do, some interviews that we do, and then you know, we're gonna try and create, and I think this might take a little bit of time, so please be uh, please be patient with it. But the thing like we what we always say is that the thing that keeps us doing the show is the community of people that we've been introduced to, the, your emails which you can send to time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com, and also like the people who reach out to us on Twitter. Um, it really has been wonderful to hear from all of you. And so we think that if we could create some sort of chat community or some sort of talking community, something like that, that that would be really great so that all of you could meet each other as well. Because I think that, you know, um, we have people who have many different political beliefs, but I do think that like people generally, you know, that's not, that's not right to say. I think that we all have very similar political beliefs. (laughs) And, you know, we get a lot of emails saying stuff like, well, I didn't know that people thought this, you know? Like, I didn't think that, like, I thought I was the only one who held these types of thoughts or, like, you know, sometimes they're like, I'm really mad at what Jay said or I'm really mad at what Tammy said. And I think that there should be conversation between the listeners of the show on that sort of thing. And so I think that if you contribute to the show that we can open that sort of stuff up and it's a place that tammy andy and i will visit quite a bit especially me because you know i fucking don't have anything to do every single day during the fucking pandemic and i would love to talk to all of you um so yeah that will be coming please look out for it uh tammy andy do you have anything else
2: no thanks for yeah, your support everybody. yeah
0: preemptively thank you for your support <laughs> and um, I your <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your generosity thank you yeah uh we even like designed a tote bag <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> do we still have
0: that thing is it like still around somewhere
2: we need to- yeah i have
0: it okay too. so um, we might even put out a tote bag all right well <laughs> until next week uh yeah thank you and goodbye